sunshine in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Holmes Army proudly presents Dreadquest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Dreadquest 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 187. I am Peter. And I am Joey. I don't know who's more happy right now, you or me. (laughs) You, because of the angst, it's finally done, you don't have to worry about this anymore. I probably won't do this to you again for a while. Me, because... We finally finished. Oh my god! It took a long time. Did you ever go back and look and see how long it actually ever. took us? No. Um, you could probably do that here uh, while while we're introing. Um, I am just so happy that we're done. It, that has no bearing upon the TV show itself because I love it. That has more to do with the fact that it just took us forever to do, and. You know, crazy year that it must have been that, you know, we've been recording this for. Um, either way, happy it's done. Very happy. And, um, yeah, okay, let's see here. Well, what do we talk about here? This is how's the week so far. Everything was okay. It took us a while to post Podcast 186. Sorry about that. Finally got it squared away, but it's out there now. Yep. Um, anything to mention, Joey? Oh, I'll have uh, an Adventures in Republican. We're doing that tonight? We, yeah, we can finally we, talk we about this. We can talk about it. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, that is exciting, because I know a little bit about it. I, I didn't get all of the grand details, uh, so it'll be just a surprise. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, the uh, the other thing is for us... Crap, was there... No, I guess there probably wasn't something else for us. Um, I think I've narrowed in on who is going to play the game with us. Okay. Um. I need to make sure we're okay with that. The, essentially, the, the game... I saw those boards over there. Is that both? Is that two copies of the game, or is that one copy? There's an expansion pack. Oh, okay. So one's the base, and then gotcha. the, the other's the expansion. I don't know what's what. I have not looked at them at all yet. Okay. Um, so likely what will happen is we'll record this... Audio, Something, things will happen. Maybe video. We got to get John if we want to do some video stuff. There's uh, one of my friends, uh, Sean, had a, had an idea if we did video, how we could do this. Anyway, I need to get into the game mechanics, figure out how the thing is played. Okay. Well, we need to figure out a time when we can do it because we're gonna have to dedicate several hours to it. Um, at least that's that's every indication I've heard. Okay. Uh, but that's that's definitely gonna happen. So. It, we may end up recording like some Sherlock stuff before we we get to the game. Gotcha. Um, and uh, like I said, not sure what the format's going to be. I have the answer here. We started Battlestar Galactica November 2012. Good heavens! <laughs> it oh, took us more than a year. Almost a year and a half. Almost. Wow. That's that's a heck of a haul. <laughs> That's as, basically as long as I have been at Axis 41. Okay. Because I started there in October of 2012. Okay, it's exciting. Um, I guess I find a new job now. <laughs> 
Wait, we're not done with Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> we have to watch all of Caprica first. <laughs> um, I do want to read an email here about last uh, um, podcast. From listener M, he says, Hey, overlords, something was different in the audio quality this time. I heard more background noises like tapping on keyboards and new email chimes. <laughs> P was sounding so good. I hope your equipment is still working, listener M. Uh, thanks for the feedback. We did, We, as we mentioned, we recorded at uh, another location at, uh, at our office. Um, During a LAN party. Uh, yes, but the, the clickety-clack on the keyboard's got to be you, dude. Could be. We're, we're, there's no way Could in the be. world. We, nope, you're right. Our, our setup's good. <laughs> no way it's going through <laughs> a whole floor. That's that's not true because I have sat there when I'm in that room by myself and I'm editing. If I turn the microphones on, I can hear conversations in the restaurant downstairs. Okay. Grant, I, the, that is that is coming through. Probably is did, me on the keyboard. Did did we have any time where we weren't speaking at all? <laughs> no, no. It probably was me. Uh, either way, uh, yeah, it, it did sound pretty good. And um, yeah, hopefully we don't have to record there too much because it is... I don't know. We're going to a new office. I, I hear they might get us... Like, we've got our own room. That's what I've heard as well, yeah. So hopefully maybe they can do something to it to... Muffle sound a little bit. Yeah, yeah that, which would be nice. Um, okay, Bra- uh, uh, Mark, thank you very much. And... Um, no, the rest I have are basically getting into top fives, unless we want to read Bob's email. Well, before we do that, I just wanted to mention, uh, between recordings here today, I had, I had said to you, I wish we had the soundboard from work, yeah. but the acoustics of the room here, because I feel like <laughs> we have a, a better sound here, it is. but I, I like having that, that more refined soundboard. Yeah. Um... Okay, uh, Bob wrote in an email here. Great to hear from you, Bob. Yep. Glad you're still listening. Glad, you know, what have you. We love you. He says, Hi, fellas. I'm sorry that SpongeBob and I have barely contributed to the entire BSG saga. The fact that we binge-watched it probably wasn't the best thing. <laughs> I also think that for you guys, watching two a week may not have been a good idea. It has most definitely contributed to the longevity of Joey's stress throughout the series. Mm. Before I go on, on behalf of the Brits that listen to your podcast, I would like to apologize to Pete for not telling you about Top Gear. It's a wonderful (laughs) hour of entertainment and is still going strong as we speak. I attended a recording of the show back in 2007 and had my picture taken with Richard Hammond the indestructible Toyota, and in Jeremy Clarkson's chair. You can see these on Facebook if you wish. Um, I would like to see them. I, I'm, I don't really go on Facebook much, you know, to really peruse around other people's stuff, unless it's like recent content they're putting out. I don't ever go back and check the backlog. Yeah. I'm going to go check the backlog okay. now, uh, because I would l- definitely love to see that. Um, it would be super neat. Um, here's a sad, sad point though. Um, many of you know, I'm Mormon. So is Joey. Um, and every year around this time, I participate in something completely not Mormon. Uh, that is known as Lent. 
Uh, a very yeah. Catholic thing to do. Um, and everyone always is like, oh, yeah, well, you're not Catholic. Why are you doing this? And it's still a good exercise. It's about sacrifice. And self-control. It's, it's totally within the Mormon religion to sacrifice things. Um, heck, we do fasting every month. Um, anyway, I'm giving up for Lent. Watching Top Gear. Mm. Which I, I think is the right thing to do. Um, because you know what? I, I, I am binge watching it Okay, a lot. Like I come home, I get my dinner and then I go and sit down and try and get in (laughs) a couple of episodes of Top Gear. And they're, they're about an hour long, 50, 55 minutes because of the, you know, lack of commercials and whatnot. Um, so I am giving it up just not because I don't like it, not because I think it's bad, but because I'm binge watching, so I'm I'm taking a step back. I'm sure I'll fill it up with some other pseudo vice uh, <laughs> to to fill that time. But uh, yeah, well, isn't that what Lent is all about? Is finding new vices? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's its tagline. Lent, find your new vice. <laughs> I'll have to make sure and share that on the Iron Rodcast. That's pretty good, Jerry. Okay, moving uh, back on to Bob's email. He says, I'm glad that Sherlock will be on the agenda shortly. It's amazing to see how huge Benedict Cumberbatch has become. I'm not sure if you saw him photobombing you too at the Oscars last weekend. Utter hilarity. Uh, yes, I did. It was funny. Uh, just because the man is already freakishly tall and thin. Um, but then to see him jumping up over the top of them while the picture was being taken was really it, it was amusing. I didn't see that, but I did see at midnight posting. Uh, I don't know. They they had some social media one where they had Bennett Cumberbatch photobombing other things. Like I think they had a, uh, sure uh, like uh, photobombing a waterfall or something like that. that. that I can't uh, it, yeah, that did make the rounds of Reddit. Uh, I did see a few things like that as well. Um, really, it was funny. Either way, Benedict Cumberbatch jumping around, funny. <laughs> Uh, Bob continues, also I'm wondering if either of you will be watching the Soccer World Cup in Brazil during the summer. Peter, do you have any predictions? How do you think the USA will fare with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana in the group stages? That is a really tough group. Maybe the toughest one apart from Group B. Um, okay, yeah. I when the When the groups were announced... And I saw the group that we were in. I said, well, I guess we can try uh, next World Cup. <laughs> Which is what, like six years? Yeah, well, they're four years apart. Four years. And I have no hope. Honestly, I have no hope of the United States getting out of Group B. Um, I see Germany going through. <laughs> they, there's no way they don't make it through. Um, and honestly, I think Portugal is, is a heavy favorite as well. We are basically, we're the ones who everyone's looking at and saying, oh, thank goodness. We've got an easy win. (laughs) Like, honestly, everyone else is looking at us and thinking that I, I really, I don't see how we have the skill set to do it. Um, although I, I do like our, our coach, Jurgen Klinsmann. He seemed to have put together a pretty decent side. Uh, the fact that, you know, we've beat Mexico in Mexico City, and that's the first time in decades. Um, 
I, I think we've got the the right guy, the, the helm. Really don't see us managing to do much with it, though, unfortunately. Um, predictions past that, I really don't know. I, I, I'm just excited. I'm really hoping to be able to watch all of them as much as I possibly can. So, um, John, if you're listening, come June... That DVR is going to have to be emptied <laughs> um, because I I'm going to end up fill, filling it up uh, on a daily basis. Okay, uh, that's enough from Bob for now. Uh, he does have a list, and we'll we'll jump over to it. But okay. that that's good enough for emails for now. Uh, okay, anything else I missed? Do Facebook find of the week? Sure. Uh, Facebook find of the week is going to go to um, Fishhead. Uh, for his posting of the tool that the that reads <laughs> like like a record player, it reads tree rings and converts that into music. I didn't even see this. When did he post that? Uh, it was this week. It was uh, huh. Tuesday ish. I want to say maybe Wednesday. Um, it is. I, I don't know how the thing works. I don't know if it's a hoax. <laughs> I, I really don't it, it it because it sounded like it was a real thing like it was like legitimate music not jumping around and skipping other things I don't know how what the software was in doing that it interpreted the the different rings data and, points as notes I, yes but how does that become yeah. like music that we would listen to and say Oh wow, that seems like it flows and belongs together. Actually, I think if you if you go back to Brainy's Nook last week, where he talks about these common structures, the chords and things like that, where they can be rearranged, sped up, slowed down. I, I when I when I heard him talk about that and explain it to me, it made sense actually. That oh, then it should be algorithmically speaking very easy to write pleasing music. Mm, okay. And so they're just uh, probably applying. By the way, we're throwing pleasing in quotes there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I imagine it's probably just a, a simple algorithm mapping some particular point of data into a set of notes or chords that we would be familiar with. Yeah, may, maybe I, I didn't. I don't remember the post having a ton of information about how it was done. Um, Anyway, it was cool, and uh, I so he, he gets the award for that uh, for sure. Um, do we want to do Adventures in Republican now? Top five, Brainy, and then Joey's Culture Corner. Yeah, so the the Culture Corner and the Nook are together they this are. week. Yep. Um, we can do Adventures in Republican now. Okay. So we had uh, last year. We had a concert. The Utah County Republican Party. Yes, thank you. Had a concert. Not Joey and I. We have never <laughs> formally held a concert <laughs> in any regard. In Checklist case. five in concert. <laughs> uh, so there, there was a concert that was held, and the, the person that they asked to be in charge of the concert, right before the event happened, they dismissed her from the committee because they didn't like the way she was running things. There was some anger and some frustration on both sides there. So the, the vice chair, Daryl Ackerman of the Utah County Republican Party, released her from the committee. The county party chair put himself in charge of the committee so as not to appear being playing favoritism towards the vice chair because we knew that this was a personal 
feelings battle between these two individuals. Part of that whole process was that a gentleman was contacted and said, hey, we'd like you to donate to this concert that we want to have. And he said, well, I don't donate to political parties. I donate to candidates. Well, we, didn't, we don't have a candidate yet. We have to wait until the primary is over before we have a, or at least convention, before we have a candidate. And so what, the, what Julie Blaney, the person organizing the event, did was she said, you know what, I'm trying to get these Constitution booklets printed up that we want to give out at the event. How about if you donate to the printing of the Constitution booklets? And he said, sure, I can donate to printing the Constitution. Totally support that. Wrote her a check for $1,000. Her? Her. Or Utah County Republican Wrote her okay, good. a check for $1,000. Okay. At the event, they passed out the, the Constitution pamphlets, and after the event was over, they gave the Utah County Republican Party, as a donation, the remainder of the pamphlets, what was left. Uh, in addition to all of that happening, one of the people who will be running for congressional office in our county this year donated $1,000 and said, I'd like 500 of that to also go to the printing of these Constitution booklets. So we split that, that donation. We took 500 of it, went into the Utah County Republican Party's offices, and the Utah County Republican Party, after hearing from the campaign that this is what they wanted us to do, wrote a check, because they wrote us one check for $1,000. So mm-hmm. we split it. We kept 500. We wrote a check for 500 to Julie Blaney for the printing of Constitution pamphlets. Right. In December, the vice chair filed a formal complaint alleging that Julie Blaney stole $1,000 from the Utah County Republican (laughs) Party by accepting a check written in her name from this guy that that wanted to donate towards the printing of the pamphlets. Mm -hmm. He then proceeded to post on Facebook, to talk in meetings, to talk to individuals, to call people, and slander and libel this woman, saying she stole, she embezzled, she, there's malfeasance, there's mal- misappropriation of funds, using all these terms, the proper procedure would have been for him to say nothing to anyone else, to file a formal complaint, and we would have had a hearing. Mm-hmm. Instead, he went around and just spread this stuff all over the county. Uh, she eventually got, uh, got fed up with that and sued him in small claims court for $1 to make the, the slander and the libel go away. Okay. I was subpoenaed by Julie Blaney's legal counsel, and my, I give my testimony that as far as I was concerned, she did everything on the up and up. Uh, we went, we had the, the court case there in small claims court. We had to sit there through everything else, everything else that was happening in small claims court that day. The judge said, well, you know, 99% of the cases that I hear are default judgments. They're either a credit agency or, you know, a landlord or a, a car dealership who's just trying to get some relief from somebody who's not paying their bills. So I'm going to go through all of those and then I'll hear your guys' case. <laughs> so we had to sit through all of that procedural stuff, which was kind of interesting. But of course, I was not happy to be there by yeah. any means. By uh, the way, I feel it's fair to every, uh, everybody else. There. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not upset at the court. I'm just saying, sure. for me, it was agonizing. I just like agonizing. the fact that, that that judge did that, made the people who were going to take the longest yes. wait until the short ones got. I like that. That's good for the judge. Yeah, because he actually got through all of the other business, and if we had gone first, who knows if he would have even gotten to the other business. Yeah. 
Uh, so it, it was well done. It just was it was an agonizing, I think, an hour and a half that I had to sit there and the whole time going, what's going to happen when they get to me? Now, prior to all this stuff happening, happening, I had written up my testimony and took it to a notary public, got it, you know, did it as a sworn affidavit, submitted it to the court. Time comes for our, our turn finally, and the judge says, do I have everybody's testimonies right here in this packet you handed me? And the, the, the two attorneys are saying, yeah, you, you know, you've got everything there. He says, great. Then I'm not even going to hear from witnesses today. <laughs> I just want the two attorneys to stand up and make their arguments. And I'll, and I'll rely on the sworn affidavits for, for all testimony. Unless there is a particular point that either one of you feels you need to challenge in the testimonies. Neither one of them felt there was anything that needed to be challenged. So they both made their arguments. The judge said, okay, I will, I will go away. I will rule on this, and I'll let you all know how I rule. Well, that day, after the court had closed, so it wasn't officially posted until the following Monday, but he did email out his, his ruling, which was found in favor of the plaintiff, Julie Blaney, that there was libel. Daryl Ackerman was guilty. She had to pay a dollar plus legal fees, so yep. about $215 or so in legal fees. And... Her legal fees and court fees. Yes, yeah, the court fees. Her process. Her fees for processing the subpoena. Like I had, you know, I had to be served with a subpoena. She had to pay somebody to serve me a subpoena. Yeah, that costs something. So, um, anyway, so all that happened. But then, if you read the findings, now I don't know how much I've told you about the actual result. You haven't. Okay. So the the term that I have been using when describing this to people is the only thing that could have been worse is if we had lost. <laughs> because the judge's findings over and over again state, I find most compelling here the evidence of Mr. Joey Smith, the Utah County Party <laughs> treasurer, when he states this, which basically means if anyone's unhappy with my ruling, it's Joey's fault. <laughs> and of course, this has turned into a, just a storm of controversy for me yep. in Utah County. Uh, we had executive committee meeting last night. And I heard it from a lot of people. I got a lot of grief over the fact that, well, you know, why are you, why are you testifying such and such? And I said, because it's the truth. I don't know. And I, over and over again, I had to tell people, here's my sworn testimony. It's a matter of public record. If you have questions, please read it. If you still have questions, maybe you should read it again. Because nothing I'm going to say to you is any different than what's in my sworn testimony. Mm -hmm. And in fact... I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to refer you to my sworn testimony so that I don't misstate something and then I get hauled into court over, well, you said it this way one day and this way the other day. It's in my sworn testimony. You want to know what I think about the situation? There it is. Matter wow. of public record. But it's been, it's been a drain on me emotionally, physically. Uh, I know it made me actually ill last week. It was part of, or earlier this week, I should say. Part of the reason that I succumbed to illness this week was because I just had nothing left. I, I have everyone, it seems like, in the Utah County Republican Party mad at me for one side or the other. Half of them are mad at me for not defending Julie Blaney hard enough. The other half are mad at me for not defending Daryl. And at the end of the day, all I can say is they're both pretty dumb for not learning how to just get along with each other a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's more than a you little bit ridiculous. That. That should have been your <laughs> argument. Look, don't get mad at me. I just told the truth. 
these morons are out here doing this. You want to be pissed? Go talk to them. I, I So I actually ended up written up in the Tribune today. I don't know if you saw the article. No, I don't read the Tribune. There's a, a guy by the name of Paul Raleigh who writes, writes a lot on local Heard politics. Yep. And uh, yeah, my name was in the paper. So, you know, if you want to look up in the Salt Lake Tribune. Degree? It was just a statement of... It was referring back to the judges. So the, the article was that the vice chair had withdrawn his complaint. And... Then, of course, in the course of that, he talked about the judge's ruling and mentioned how, oh, yeah, you know, the judge over and over again referred to Mr. Joey Smith and how it's his fault that the ruling came down the way it did. Uh, not the words that Paul Raleigh used, but that was the sense of it that I walked away with. The interesting thing is that last night in executive committee meeting, so th- this article was written sometime yesterday afternoon, Thursday afternoon. Uh, we had executive committee Thursday night, and the executive committee decided to deny the vice chair his attempt to withdraw his formal complaint. <laughs> I, we did this in executive session, so I can't talk about the arguments for and against why we did it. I can tell you the, fi- the, the ruling, the vote of the committee, which is public record, is that we decided not to allow the complaint to be withdrawn, and we will continue forward with the hearing after the appeals process for the libel case has exhausted itself. Wow. So he's appealing. Yes. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, it gets even better because one of the things that the judge, one of the arguments that Mr. Ackerman tried to make was the Utah County Republican Party is a public organization and therefore under this certain obscure piece of Utah law as a public organization we're not held to the same standard of libel as private organizations are. Absolutely a false statement. And I'm glad the judge called him on it, saying that, no, this is a false statement. Because right now in Utah, they are trying to get rid of the caucus system, which is very critical Mm -hmm. to the way our county parties operate and the whole point of having the county parties really on some level. And one of the ways that the state party is planning on defending the caucus system is to say, we're a private organization – you cannot dictate to us how we elect, how we, how we put our, get our names on the ballot. You can't dictate it because we are a private organization. Government can't dictate to a private organization how they can assemble. Okay. So in the course of fighting this <laughs> stupid libel suit, he is putting at risk the legal case that the state party wants to use to defend the entire caucus system. Fantastic. Oh, this is just <laughs> glorious. There you go. Adventures in Republican. <sighs> you know, why are you still a part of this organization? That's what I want to know. Well, at this point, I'm still part of the organization because if I resign now, <laughs> then it may have impact on legal proceedings. <laughs> Oh, man. Plus, it looks bad, Yeah, I suppose, uh, to say, oh, he's stepped down yes. after this. Oh, I wonder what's <laughs> happened. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yep, not going to be in politics. Yeah, well. Check that one off. On my list of life miscalculations, <laughs> this has got to be at the top. Very near the top. Noble aspirations. Once they get to reality, ooh. 
Okay, well, um, it's been at least entertaining for the rest of us. <laughs> well, that, that is the goal of my life, is to make the rest of you laugh. <laughs> um, okay, why don't we jump into uh, top five lists. Okay. And um, this week is top five favorite final episodes. And this is a, a suggestion that uh, Brainy Smurf had sent to us. Yep. I think it's a good one, so this is what we're going to do. Um, and uh, Bob says... There is a, this is a loaded list, because a lot of shows go downhill towards the end. But here is mine, anyway, in no particular order, even though he numbered them. <laughs> Just saying, maybe use bullet points. Maybe you should read them out of the order that he numbered them in, so that they're in no particular order. Okay, in no particular order. Number two, Spooks. Um, M I five. Oh, five. Yeah. Okay. A UK a UK spy drama. I had pretty much predicted the events of the final show around four years previously to my sister, and it played out beat for beat. It's a great show and ended really strongly with excellent callbacks to former characters. Number one, all good things. A great way to end Star Trek: The Next Generation and better than Star Trek Generations. Number three, epilogue, Justice League Unlimited, mm. a really committed and creepy way to end the Justice League series with a low-key Batman-focused episode, which was totally awesome and befitting of the Batman animated series of the 90s. I can't think of another two. I told you, this was loaded. Uh, yeah, okay, but that's all right. You, you know, only I, have three? I stopped watching Spooks uh, when they got rid of the character of Tom. I really liked the character of Tom. I thought the way they ruined that character was poorly done. <laughs> and when he swam off into the ocean, I stopped watching. Okay. Maybe, maybe they fixed everything. Maybe. I think I would have heard about it. All right, let's go over to Fishhead. Uh, he says, top five series finales. Honorable mentions. Uh, New Heart and Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> New Heart. Because <laughs> he wakes up and it's the other show. Yeah. I forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, I generally like unexpected twist endings. Uh, Star Trek DS9. I don't remember how that one ends. Um, it has been far, far too long since I last watched it, so I don't remember. Uh, but I don't know. I, I like DS9. Um, the Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, if this counts as a series. Uh, um, okay. I, yeah, it's, technically the series continued, uh, but as far <laughs> as finales go for talk show hosts, got to be one of the best, because Johnny was the best. Johnny was the best. Um, there are several more shows that had decent finales, but I didn't care too much for the shows. Or they had gone on too long, and I wasn't committed to them anymore when the finale did come around. Top four. I am not feeling strong enough about a fifth um, in alphabetical order based on the last letter of the title. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. The rebooted version you have been covering. Futurama. The last and final finale. MASH. Mm. Star Trek The Next Generation. Good uh, good solid list there. Uh, I did like Futurama's finale. 
It was nice. I, uh, I haven't got to it yet. I, I appreciate niceness. Uh, let's see here. Mark. Um, hey, howdy, everyone. It looks like whoever put together these emails is behind in editing the episodes discussed. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. Uh, perhaps someone needs to have a word with the intern to fix this problem. Maybe he needs poked with a stick or something. Well, have a good week. Um, and then he has this Word document that he attached. Okay. <laughs> which has all of his stuff in it, which I, which is a little weird. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, and his top five scariest TV sci-fi villains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess since he didn't see one in the email, he, he just made something up. Because he gave up Facebook right. for Lent. Okay. Uh, honorable mentions, uh, BSG Cylons. And Daleks. Number five, Cigarette Smoking Man, The X-Files. Number four, Megatron. I've especially enjoyed <laughs> the Prime series depiction. Number three, Agent Smith. Number two, Darth Vader. And number one, uh, Cyberman, Doctor Who. Wow. More than Darth Vader? Oh, that's mm. his list. Mm. These villains always creeped me out growing up, and they still do in the revived editions I've finally been watching lately. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for sending a list in. Yep. I do appreciate that. Um, I mean, I think it was wrong, but, you know, you <laughs> sent the list in. Just not the one we had chosen. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was really no, I meant the, I meant the topic that he chose, he still was wrong. <laughs> Clearly, Vader is more scary than that. From a guy who doesn't even like Star Wars... Vader. Vader was a great villain. You have, you cannot deny that. Even though he wasn't a villain, he was a villain. Have you seen the last Star Trek? Yes, villains can be redeemed. Star Trek, the last Star Trek. He. <laughs> it was an act the whole time. He was. He was taking down the Empire from the inside. Nice. If he's that all powerful, he he could have easily wiped him all out. All right, let's go to Brainy's email. He says, top five. Honorable mention does not go to Lost and its Glow Cave, but does go to Newhart. Also, I included finale movies for series that got canceled. Number five, Sopranos. It made, ev it made everyone mad, and that made me happy. Because <laughs> so many people spouted about how they were peeved for the lack of payoff. But I thought that it was very well written, as one realizes that although we don't know exactly what happens, and the scene ambiguously cuts, that concept itself is a metaphor for how the rest of this mob family's life will be. They could get whacked at any moment. Number four, Stargate Atlantis. Best Stargate finale and a solid fun episode from an unappreciated lighthearted sci-fi show. Never finished Atlantis. I wanted to, had a bunch of characters I really liked, and actors I really liked, but in the end, I just didn't hold my interest strong enough. Still love Stargate, though. Um, number 3.5, Farscape. Canceled with a cliffhanger. We finally got a long miniseries movie with tons of fun Muppet-enhanced aliens. 3. Fringe. They kind of did two finales. I won't say more, lest Pete hasn't finished it, which I haven't. 
ooh, this is a prime opportunity for me to get back into Fringe. <laughs> See? You found your new vice. I thought for sure it was going to be more Diablo 3, but uh, I guess not. Um, but what a great series. 2.5. Serenity slash Firefly. We covered it, and it's awesome. Okay. I, I had, uh, All right. I'm going to leave this alone because <laughs> I feel like it, it's maybe going to come up in your list. It's not. You can go ahead. I, how can you put that? The last one we saw was terrible. Unless you're choosing to count the movie as the finale. Which I think he, he said he is. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, it's just a really long episode that went to theaters. <laughs> Number two, Arrested Development. Funniest live action show ever, sublime writing and acting. Except they came out with another one. Yeah, another season. That kind of sucked. I, I liked some of the things in it. It wasn't as funny. Kind of sucked. Kind of sucked. Too much green screen. Honestly, that's probably the thing that ruined it the most. Okay. Um, number one, all good things. Perhaps the most beloved of sci-fi finales. It makes sense that we all love it because we get to watch Sir Picard in almost every scene. It's also interesting that Ron Moore wrote this episode with Brandon Braga, who would go on to try to destroy the Trek franchise through Voyager and Enterprise. But the pair wrote it on the fly, for they were not expecting to be slated for the job. The late TNG legend, Michael Piller, was supposed to pen the episode, but he was too busy with DS9. So just as John Lennon isolates a sense of effortlessness in songwriting, we see TNG and its monumental run with a perfect finish and three versions of Sir Jean-Luc. Um, okay, that's the end of his list. Good, uh, thank you very much, Brainy. Joey, why don't you give us yours? Okay, I've got two honorable mentions, uh, because they're comedies. I, I like the way these shows ended, but ultimately they're comedies, and I just, I'm not as uh, drawn to the comedy as I am to the drama. So the, the honorable mentions are The Office. Uh, I thought the, the Dwight and Angela wedding and having Michael Scott back there, I thought it was nicely done. Uh, I also liked the the way that the Jim and Pam story evolved over that last season. I liked it. You are free to yeah, have a different opinion. I, I, I didn't. That's okay. Uh, and the other honorable mention goes to Cheers. Just okay. a, a great show I remember watching growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. and I remember that last episode and thinking, boy, it's going to be weird not to turn on the TV and see Cheers. Because I didn't know what syndication was yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so into my list proper. Number five, I'm giving to Gilmore Girls. While I hated the last season, the last episode I thought was a good way to wrap up what they had, like, to pull (laughs) back from the mess. Yes. Yeah, it was we a made mess. It really, really terrible. So that when you saw the final one, you'd be like, "Oh, okay, that's pretty." That good. that was that was acceptable. Comparatively, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, ultimately, it, it came back to the story of of Rory and Lorelai, and Lorelai and Luke, which was the core of the story all the time. I don't know why they allowed it to drift away from that. I also liked what they did. Did with they get married? The grandparents? No, they did not get married. Yeah, that ruined. Uh, I also liked what they did with the grandparents that the, you know, the grandparents got, I think her parents got a nice little wrap up there in that, in that episode. 
Uh, number four is Quantum Leap. Oh, that's a good one. Is, I did not have that on. My, that is a great one. It is one of my favorite episodes of television ever. I'd like yeah. to maybe sometime do Quantum Leap as a podcast, but I don't think we do it in TrekBust 5 yeah. because what I'd like to do is turn it into a podcast where we do one episode and we talk a little bit about the actual historical events that are going on. <laughs> Let's see how wrong they got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, to to try to frame each you know, each uh-huh. episode of that. Say, here's what was going on in the country at that time. Here here's maybe why they picked this moment out of all the moments in Sam Beckett's life that they could have picked to highlight, you know, here's what we think might have been interesting going on in the country or in the world that around that time. Um it is it was very formulaic show. Sure. Honestly, it was. Oh, boy. But <laughs> great catch line. <laughs> but the end is not. Yeah. That is not following a formula. That diverged so hard. And I remember being kind of young and watching it at the time and thinking, what this was that? Weird. <laughs> this, is, this is strange. And to this day, I remember, you know, him sitting there in the diner with God. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, holy crap, what just happened? That is a brilliant ending. Well, and that conversation they have where mm-hmm. the bartender is saying, was it really me that was leaping you around, Sam? Who was it that was leaping you around? And he's like, well, if it was me, how can I know it was me? Well, what's the one thing you wish you would have done differently? And then the moment that Sam selects to try and test this thing out, to go back and tell Al's wife, Hey, he's alive out there. Don't give up on him. Uh, just very, very poignant, uh, you know. And part of it also for me is that this was a show that I would watch with my mother uh, mm-hmm. on Saturdays. Yeah. We, we, mom and I, would sit down. Just mom and I. Nobody else watched it in the family. I'm sure my mom probably was just tolerating me. For me, it was, hey, it's a time travel show on TV. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it, so there, there's also that very strong for me, very strong emotional tie. You know, funny, no, not funny, interesting story. Um, the 49ers won the Super Bowl, beat the Bengals. It's like 87, 88. The show that comes on, so I had recorded it. Okay. I had recorded it on a VHS. The, the show that comes on after the Super Bowl is over is the season premiere. Okay. I don't know if it was like when it was first starting, but it was like the very first episode right. of Quantum Leap. And it's got, uh, it was a Lamborghini or something like that, and some hot chick and Sam Beckett's in the car. Um, totally remember that. <laughs> it's stuck in my mind. Because I watched that. I think it was a Corvette. Over and over again. It was some. It was a supercar yeah. yeah. in some, some regard. Anyway, sorry. Go, go ahead. Uh, number three is Mad About You. Yeah, okay. You, I'm, All right, that makes sense for you. Yeah, for me, I, I watched this show, and, and just to give the listeners a frame of reference, this was probably my only experience growing up watching anything even remotely resembling, resembling a healthy marriage. A, a good uh-huh. example of a healthy marriage. It was a show that very, very much was about, uh, you know, I mean, it was a comedy, but it was also about a man and a woman and how they were in love and how they were just kind of dealing with life. Uh, at, at, in the last episode, it kind of took a dark turn towards the middle of the last episode, <laughs> but it ends up w- with 
coming back to that premise of, you know what, this is just a guy and a girl, they're in love, and they're trying to find their way in this world. And I always appreciated that show for that. Uh, my wife and I watched that show together several times from start to end, just to, to savor and appreciate that portrayal of a good marriage. The uh, the ending, I thought, was terrible. I remember <laughs> seeing the finale. I remember thinking, um, oh, yeah, I, I definitely hate that comedian. Janine uh, Garofalo. Garofalo. I'm like, yep, she's still horrible. <laughs> um, and then the, the whole thing, they're in the theater, and they, mm-hmm. they the movie they... tickets on the floor. Like, uh, I was like, oh, good Lord, shoot me now. Um, and it just no didn't work for you none none um so i if you got something out of it yeah more power to you uh number two for me number two and number one uh, honestly you could put them either way i'd have a hard time choosing between them Mm -hmm. uh number two i'm gonna go with sleeping in light babylon Mm five you know this is captain sheridan saying goodbye to everyone and everything as he moves beyond the galactic rim pays the pays the price of his bad decisions, but is able to do it in a way that he's able to give some kind of closure to all of his loved ones, uh, including the station itself. Mm-hmm. And then number one, of course, for me is all good things. Yeah. For all of the right reasons. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so I have a top six. Okay. Uh, since I thought it'd be silly to only have one honorable mention um, is Cheers. The I didn't ever really watch a show as a kid growing up, but by the end I was old enough <laughs> to you know I had seen it in in the syndication because it was showing while it was still running. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's how good it was. Um. But that that last episode was great, and you know the end, you know, with Sam saying sorry, we're closed. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. Absolutely fantastic way to to send them all off. Good for them. Um, number five, I am going to go with Battlestar Galactica, what we just watched tonight. Um, I think it is a phenomenal wrap up. Love the action sequences. Love most of the story (laughs) wrap up. Um, I don't want to ding it too hard because there was enough other good stuff happening that I'm, I'm, I'm okay and on board with it. Um, let's see here. Number four is New Heart. Um, I remember <laughs> I, when that one I totally finished. forgot about that, yeah. And it is fantastic for him to say, honey, I, I, I've had the, the weirdest dream. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good New Heart you just did right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do old man really well. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's funny, it's, it's witty, it's unique, and uh, it's super. Um, number three is going to go to Breaking Bad, um, because... I knew this would be on your list somewhere. It, it is, it just finishes everything up. The story gets finished off. And some people say, oh, it wraps up too neatly. You know what? Finally! Something <laughs> wraps up neatly! <laughs> you don't have to sit there and say, well, I wonder what happened to this. Or, well, you know, they didn't really do this well. I'm like, no, they finished it all. Um, I know I can't. I don't think John agrees with me on that, uh, but that's okay. Um, I still really enjoyed the, okay. the wrap up of it. Number two is going to go to Mash. Um, so long, uh, no, so long, farewell, goodbye. Um, 
It is... You know, the only thing I remember about the last episode of MASH is that isn't there toilet paper on the ground spelling out goodbye in radars? No. Oh, no. That you have butchered what was this. Get out of my house right <laughs> now. I, I haven't seen the last episode of MASH since it originally... Well, not originally, since it aired when I was a kid, like on TV. So, MASH is an ensemble cast, as everybody knows. But really, the main character is uh, Hawkeye. Right. Um, uh, Hawkeye Pierce. I almost said radar just to screw with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because he left before the the he wasn't a part of the. Oh, last he wasn't. Two okay, uh, two or three seasons. I can't remember. Anyway, it, it, it's all about Hawkeye. So this this finale is telling the story of Hawkeye. We have um, the uh, uh, not professor, the psychiatrist. Oh, um, okay. Come back, and he's helping. Hawkeye deal with this thing that's happened. We don't know. You know, everything's all screwed up in Hawkeye. You know, it's there's still funny stuff going on all over the place. But there's this dark, dark thing that had happened. I'm kind of remembering and, something about this and, now. And um, Sydney, Dr. Sydney something or other, um, helps Hawkeye finally come to grips, accept what happened, because he blocked it out. He doesn't even remember what he yeah. did. And he helps block it out. And then that tells the end of the, the story of the, the war of uh, the Korean War. Um, what happens to each one of the characters. The the thing that's running up to all of this is BJ Honeycutt is saying, you know, I don't say goodbye. It's not a thing I do. And Hawkeye's like, come on, you've you got to say goodbye. I mean, we, we live on different sides of America. We're not going to see each other that much. And Hawkeye gets onto the onto the chopper. He says goodbye to um, BJ. BJ, you know, just doesn't say goodbye. And as the chopper's taking off in rocks, rocks. That's what it was. I just saw, I had that mental had, image. Had spelled out goodbye, and he rides off on his motorcycle, and he you know gets on some other transport, and the show ends. That's it. Um, I don't know if it still holds a record, but for the longest time, that was the most watched episode of television in history, huh. ever. Um, and I'm sure probably maybe some lost stuff has, has beat it by now or, or whatnot, but uh, no way in the world does anything lost has done <laughs> come even close to that. So um, I have on DVD, I have seasons one through six of MASH, and then for some reason season 11. <laughs> and nothing, nothing between six and eleven, and nothing after eleven. And and at some point, I need to finish that collection out so I can actually go back and watch them all. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Mash, love it. Uh, it's it's great. You can throw it in any time, and, it, and it's going to work. Uh, and of course, number one is going to be uh, TNG, All Good Things, because it is brilliant. Um, I. West Wing wasn't on the list, by the way. Yeah. It's not a good no. finale. Um, but uh, TNG rocked it. Okay. Uh, let's do Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Absolutely. Okay, Brainy. Uh, here we go. And now for a Darkness Corner, collaboratively covering Revelation Space by Al Reynolds. Ph.D., in astrophysics. Yep. As we learn from Chasm City, this world building is a supreme effort. Alistair, 
is masterful at weaving a plot through several fractured timelines into one cogently dense narrative. This is the hardest of hardcore sci-fi. Settle down, Pete. And the spaciest of space operas. Every detail and nuance matters and fits into the overarching story structure. In light of our final uh, finale payoff discussions, we have Revelation Space. I think that this novel delivers one of the most satisfying payoffs I have ever encountered. Mm. I hope Joey can help paint this picture, but when they arrive at Hades, they had thought it would be a neutron star. Instead, it was a sun-sized computer with parallel processing units in the past, present, and future. Dan's experience and story is so powerful and so existential. He discovers that his father was actually his host clone. Now, how about that for a midlife crisis? <laughs> he also sabotages one ship with his eye bombs. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> but later, as he enters the light of Hades, his transfiguration is beautiful to read. As he is transformed into pure light, he somehow melts into a state of pure information, one with universe, one with all information. This apotheosis is just wonderfully fleshed out by Alistair. Is he drifts into and out of omniscience. Alistair really makes it believable. It's got to be as, as yes. Although this is a difficult read and Al demands a lot of his audience, payoff is so worth it. Here are a couple of other ideas that I just thought um, I'd were amazing. Joey, please comment if you feel. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I don't. I, I missed that one. Please comment if you feel it. <laughs> Sun Stealer, the super crazy alien and a bad guy. Here are some Joey questions. One, have you ever read anything that accomplishes such a complex plot with such a disregard for linear time? No. Nothing anywhere even close. How about, uh, how about just such uh, a complex plot? I've read other complex plots. I'd say the, the only thing that comes close on both axes is The Light of Other Days where the things that are happening at the beginning of the book actually affect the things that happen at the end of the book. Uh, but it's it's nowhere near... Wait, are you serious? Things that happen at the beginning of the book affect what happened at the end I'm of sorry, the book? I'm sorry, I said that backwards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whoa, that's groundbreaking. No one's ever done that before. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out how dumb I am, Pete. <laughs> so that is why I keep Listen, you around. <laughs> I don't win most logic arguments with you, but when I see them, oh, I'm going to pounce. Um, okay, anything more to say about that? No, not right now. Okay. Number two, do you discuss the Fermi paradox and how this novel addresses it? I have to look that up because I can't remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, actually, as I, was, as I was typing, I thought, oh, wait, I think I remember what this is. It, this is the, um, <laughs> the apparent contradiction in the universe between... The fact that there are so many possibilities and yet there's so little intelligent life. There appears to be so little intelligent life. 
Um, I actually was not prepared, didn't come prepared to reveal as much of the plot as Brainy did in his review there. Uh, I, oh, by the way, spoiler yes, alert. Huge spoiler alert. <laughs> um, the, the, the premise that he, what he's talking about, it does actually, in, in a way, it could partially explain the, the Fermi paradox, which is there's a machine that's out there. It detects when life achieves a certain state of technological advance, and when it does, it wipes them out. Oh, nice. And so therefore, you know, we can see why the universe appears to be so sparsely populated, because anytime anyone gets advanced enough to actually contact us, everything's brought to a screeching halt. Um, one of the things that, that we kind of jumped right into the heart of the book, well, you know, I'll let Brainy finish, and then I'll do mine. Okay. Number three. I, I'm, I'm going to let you finish, but... <laughs> I thought the meta story with the Amarantian and the inhibitors was amazing in how it addressed the Fermi paradox. Your thoughts? Didn't we just talk about this? Uh, no, it was a separate question. I actually, I've not gone on to any of Reynolds' other books yet. I'm hoping we get to hear more about the Amarantians because there's a... He, he did a very good job of piquing my interest there about more about the Amarantian culture and maybe how we're kind of following in their footsteps and what's going to happen now that, uh, I can't remember Sylvester's first name. Uh, Carl. No. Lewis? No. <laughs> Neither of those. Uh, anyway, uh, so I thought, it was, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. It, in, in my opinion, it does speak to the Fermi paradox of a possible reason why the universe appears to be so sparsely populated. Okay, number four. How cool were the space rats from the ones that drop down in your ear and say company, company <laughs> when you have guests on the way, they finally turn into a singular consciousness that attacks the people. Not as cool as Jane from the Ender series. Five, is the meddling plague a super awesome original brilliant creation within this universe? I've seen things like it before close enough to it that I'm going to say no. Within this universe. I'm just going to restate that. So read the whole question again. Modifier. Is the meddling plague a super awesome original brilliant creation within this universe? See, I, 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 the way I interpret that question, my answer is no. Okay. That's it. Okay. So the, the things I wanted to talk about with Revelation Space, one of the most interesting parts about it for me is we've got here a guy who's an actual astrophysicist writing speculative fiction that is barely speculative at all. <laughs> uh, he's, he's very, very hard. You know, there, there's this, there's this, uh, degree or there's a spectrum of soft science fiction to hard science fiction that TV tropes put together uh, a, a while a long time ago where you know it goes all the way from yeah it's it's only science in genre there's actually no science going on all the way up to it's only fiction in genre there's you know it's actually all scientifically accurate and they put him they put this book very nearly at the far extreme science end. There's, there's only you know one or two things that are even speculative here at all, which is the 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 race of Amarantians, the race of the I can't remember the inhibitors. Um, 
But the so what we have is we have three different storylines that are going on simultaneously. Uh, they start at different times, and we're given the times and the dates when the story starts. So one of them starts, in, I want to say, in like 2240, one of them starts in 2250, and one of them starts in 2260, Some, something along those lines. And we have ships that, are, that travel at sublight speeds, uh, and we're, a very strong component of the story and the way it all interlocks is the fact that there's no possibility for faster-than-light travel. And the impact that this has on culture, on people, on language, on science, is just fascinating, fascinating stuff. And in fact, I want to read just a, a little snippet of the, of the book. Um, it, it's from the very beginning, and we're, we're introduced to a character by the name of Kuri, who is she's a, she's a professional assassin on a planet where the rich hire professional assassins to come kill them. And it's a game. Can I outlive the assassin? That's, oh that's how decadent the society is. That they've be, de- devolved to the point where they're playing a game with life, literally with their own life and death. And so this, this woman is an assassin that hunts down rich people for a living. That hired her to kill themselves. And she's talking about how how she came to become part of what they call shadow play. That's the, the hunting down process. Um, she, she says, oh, yeah, I can remember when I first got involved with this. It's because it dates back to the day I woke up on this planet. Uh, she woke to found herself being tended by what they call a voluntary religious organization who dedicate themselves to assisting those who have suffered from some sort, form of trauma while crossing interstellar space. Uh, apparently, one, an, uh, a common example is revival amnesia when you come out of what's called reefer sleep, which is basically suspended animation. So that's one of the ways that people survive these, you know, incredibly long distances. These ships, they just a few people are awake and they keep the ship going, and then mm-hmm. they go to sleep. They wake somebody else up and they go to sleep. So she talks about not having a memory of how she got to this planet. Uh, says, perhaps her amnesia was so bad that it had erased years of her previous life, but Corey had no recollection even of embarking on an interstellar journey. Her last memories were quite specific, in fact. She had been in a medical tent on the surface of Sky's Edge, which is a planet out on the, out on the rim, lying in a bed next to her husband, Fazel. They had both been wounded in a firefight, injuries which, while not actually life-threatening, could best be treated in one of the orbital hospitals. An orderly had come around and prepped them both for the short immersion in reefer sleep. They would be cooled, carried to orbit in a shuttle, then stacked up in a cryogenic holding facility until surgical slots were available in the hospital. The process might take months, but as the orderly smilingly assured them, there was every chance that the war would still be going on when they were again fit for duty. <laughs> Corey and Fazel had trusted the orderly. They were both professional soldiers after all. Later, she was revived, but instead of coming around in the recuperation ward in the orbital hospital, Curry was confronted by the ice mendicants, those are the, the guys who woke her up, with Yellowstone accents. So Yellowstone is the planet where she woke. No, they explained, she was not amnesiac, nor had she suffered any kind of injury in the reefer sleep process. It was considerably worse than that. There had been what the mendicants chose to call a clerical error. It had happened around Sky's Edge after the cryogenic holding facility was hit by a missile. 
Corey and Fazel had been among the lucky few not to have been killed, but the attack had still wiped out the data records in the facility. In Curry's case, they had confused her with an observer who had come to Sky's Edge to study the war, and she was sent to, re- to return home to Yellowstone when she was caught in the same missile attack. She had been fast-tracked for surgery, placed aboard a star sk- starship, scheduled for immediate departure back to Yellowstone. Of course, said the mendicants, the end- error was discovered quickly, but by then it was much too late. There were no other ships due to follow that route for decades. And even if Curry had immediately returned to Sky's Edge which was again impossible given the stated destination of all ships now parked around Yellowstone, the best part of 40 years would have passed before she met her husband again. Mm. And during most of that time, Fazl could have no knowledge that she was coming home, nothing to prevent him picking up the pieces of his life, remarrying, having children, and perhaps even grandchildren before she returned. Until that moment, Curry had never really given much thought to the slowness of light. There was nothing in the universe that moved faster, but as she now saw, it was glacial compared to the speed that would be needed to keep their love alive. In one instant of cruel clarity, she understood that it was nothing less than the underlying structure of the universe, its physical laws, which had conspired to bring her to this moment of horror and loss. So I, I, I remember reading that page when I first picked up Revelation Space and going, I'm totally going to be reading the rest of this book. I was in the bookstore, just kind of paging through it, landed on that paragraph and said, oh, that is, that is just so compelling. All the things that you don't think about, because not only is faster than light travel not possible, but unlike Ender's Game, we don't have faster than light communications either. So everything has to happen at or very, very near, at best very near the speed of light. And there's no communication that can take place. So she has no way to tell her husband, hey, I'm alive. I'm coming. I'll be there in 40 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, and so what happens is these three stories, as they start in different times, they all converge towards one point. And that convergence is happening because of the character of Celeste. And basically all the events are trying to line up to bring all these, these people back into contact with Sylvester, that they, they are, they're all trying to reach him because he is a brilliant scientist, archaeologist guy, <laughs> for lack of a better term. But uh, the way the stories, because of the, like, the constraints of faster-than-light travel are what give Alistair Reynolds the, the opportunity to create these stories that so slowly converge on each other and then when they converge you go oh wow this was all set up from the very beginning and it's super super tightly structured okay give it Um, a thumbs up yeah it doesn't sound like a book i would necessarily jump to reading but uh you know there certainly does sound interesting it's nice that uh, science was definitely a major factor of this that's that's pretty cool um, okay, moving on to episodes. We are going to cover episode end of Battlestar Galactica. Can't we just say moving on to episode? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so it is, it's weird the way it's broken up. Um, but these last three episodes, if we're going to call them that, really are telling one story here. It's yeah. all one combined thing. So Joey and I, we talked about it. We're just going to do this. As one thing. Uh, we're not going to break it up. We'll, we won't do individual... Um... It's the three-hour block. <laughs> oh, gosh. Please let that not happen. I want to go to bed so bad. Um, 
Anyway, so this episode is called Daybreak. Joey. It all comes to this. 39,516 survivors trying to find a place in the universe. Ah, uh, yes. So good. So good. Um, all right. So uh, we see back on Caprica. We're getting a flashback. Well, so instead of the flash forward we normally get, in these three episodes, we don't get that flash forward thing. Instead, we get flashbacks back to Caprica. Thought that was interesting. A little switch up here at the end. Okay, if you enjoyed that. No, I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Adama is in a suit on Caprica. Not really sure what's going on here. He seemed to be offered something. Um, Gaius and Six. <laughs> Roslyn and a baby shower. Lee and Kara meet for the first time. Yep. And then we see Gaius's father, which is, wow, dysfunctional, yeah. those two. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is the Smith family. <laughs> um, then the things with Rosalind go downhill. Yep. All the was... family die. I totally called it, by the way. What? When there was a knock at the door and she's going to the door and the door was all glowy, I said, oh, it's the police and her whole family's dead. I was like... What's wrong with you? Why do you go to places like that? I'm like, that's what's going to happen. Watch. And it's the police and she's like, I don't get it. How do you know this stuff? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, then we jump back to the ship. Never, yeah. It's being dismantled. Everything's being taken apart here. Um, and uh, the, the line I wrote is, Gaius is the final author of humanity's last chapter. Yep. We see him in his own in, in his room. Everything's been kind of stripped out. He's just the last one sitting there. And Head Six is right there next to him and tells him this, that he is the final author of humanity's last chapter. Yeah, the other line that I wrote down for this part was... Uh... They're talking about taking the mag launchers out of Galactica. Mm -hmm. And Lee says, let, you know, make that the last thing you take out, and then let's turn off the lights and let the old girl die in peace. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. So, Tyrrell's in prison. Yeah. I The whole Tyrrell thing from here, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I, it didn't really seem to make sense because he's in prison, then he's out of prison. I guess... The, the out of prison, we gave amnesty to everyone again. Actually, Lee said something about that on the phone. Yeah, I, wh whatever. It's fine, I guess. But it was confusing. It was weird. He's there in prison because of what he, you know, he let Hera get, you know, taken away. Um, hot dog looks terrible. Not sure why <laughs> that made such a, an indelible mark on me that I made a comment about it. But he looks terrible. I think it's because being a single dad's pretty tough. <laughs> Plus being a, a pilot, yeah, it's got to be pretty hard on him. I, I like the conversation between Hilo and Tyrrell where they're debating the metaphysics of the Cylon race, whether or not there is individuality there. I also liked uh, Tyrrell's line, I'm a 2,000-year-old idiot who cannot learn the simplest lesson. Machines are not people, they're just machines. Yeah, it, it was kind of mean for him to say, she's a blow-up doll. Yeah. That's all she is. Right to a... The, the guy who yeah. is married to her. Um, it's a pretty messed up, but I guess Tyrrell's clearly in a dark place. Uh, let's see here. Adama gets sentimental mm -hmm. about Hera. After meeting uh, with uh, 
hot dog and he sees him carrying away all of the pictures and he goes and looks at the wall and there is a picture of Hera. And he's like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do something about this. Before that, Gaius makes a play for power. Yep. Um, Adama runs into Starbuck and he says, you are my daughter. Because Don't she's in a yeah. haze. And he's like, hey, is this is this true? Is this is this really a thing here? And she's like, yeah, I don't know what I am. He's, his response is, you are my daughter. Which is nice for him to say that uh, for, for her. And in that same scene, that's when they're, they're in there with Sam. She's talking about how she's trying to figure out what the music means. Adama says, you know what, let's plug Sam in. I've got a question for him. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, uh, Carrie, you ask it. Because clearly they both are thinking the same thing. And the result of that question is Adama and Kara come out to the deck and they put the, the tape line down and they mm-hmm. say, we're going after Hera. And I, I like the way they do this recounting thing where we're hearing different people's recounting of what Adama said. Uh, we jump to different people. So we hear like racetrack talking to a group of pilots. And then he said this. And then we hear, uh, I, think, I think it was Ellen Ty talking to Tori as they're walking down the hall. And Ellen Ty says, you know, Hera has some meaning that transcends the here and now. She's meant to fulfill a role, so we're going. And just, just the way that we didn't hear the big dramatic speech all at once from Adama, what we heard was and saw was the impact it had on all the other characters. I don't think that's right. What? Well, from a linear perspective... By the way, we jumped over the Anders being full of crap. The one perfect moment. I'm always searching for that. Yeah, I was going to skip over that. Oh! <laughs> shoot me in the face. That was terrible. Um, but he made a call for everybody to come down to the bay. So that's what everyone was doing, and there was a discussion along the way. Because remember, talk about in CIC... Um, uh, Tyr uh, Ty is there talking to somebody. He's like, "You got, you better make you take your time making a decision, but you better do it quick. It's only, it takes a four minute walk to get down there, because that's where the decision was then to to be made for him." Right? No, it, he wasn't asking them to make the decision yet. He was saying, "I'm planning on going back. We're gonna we put the tape line down. We're gonna have people go think about your decision." And we saw that we didn't hear. Adama give that speech of I'm going to have everyone come down and make their decision. It's just the 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 way you talked about this, we see everything from everybody's point of view as this a thing has had an effect on it. It just seemed uh, I I didn't follow you with the the way time flowed in the episode. So I I got confused okay. with with what you're talking about there. Something we missed is Gaius, when he's talking, he's trying to make this power play. He's saying, hey, look, my people have been, they're being disenfranchised here, which is a load of crap <laughs> because they aren't being disenfranchised. Right. They're all part of some other organization some that's being represented. Yep. Yeah. And if Gaius can magically make some ship appear out of nowhere. He's got a vote. Absolutely. <laughs> I I thought I, I was so frustrated watching that because I'm like, no, 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 that's they're not that's a separate not group. You can't. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Um. So everyone now has a choice to choose the the mission. Yep. Lee's the first one to choose. 
Uh, Rosalind looks terrible. Yeah, she did a great job. This actress, Mary McDonnell, is that yes. right? Uh, she just looked emaciated. She sold that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cylon colony has been found orbiting a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. You know, there's all the stuff flying around it. And apparently it's in this orbit that it's stable, it's fine, it, it's not yeah, any danger. I didn't quite danger. understand the physics of that. I don't either. Okay. But it was cool. It was cool. And uh, so that was basically the end of part one. Uh, part two. Adama and Ty are in a strip club. <laughs> yep. And uh, they're both drunk. Yep. And they're celebrating retirement. If anyone ever needs an actor to play the role of someone drunk, the guy who plays Colonel Ty <laughs> has to be the first choice. <laughs> that man does happy drunk, sad drunk, angry drunk. Every all, all, kind all of the shades drunk. of drunk there are. <laughs> he does it so well. It's so believable. And, you know, it was funny, yeah. you know, to, to see that scene happen in, in the strip club. He, he, he pays for uh, Bill to get a lap dance, which to me <laughs> just sounds like the worst thing ever. I don't know why anyone would ever pay for that. Yeah, I would hate it for a naked woman to rub her body all over me. That would be a terrible. A naked stranger. A naked woman. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awful. Don't sign me up for that. All right. Whatever anybody does, don't sign me up for it. <laughs> Um, and then we go to a scene that's just gross where Adama's puking on himself. <laughs> he's, he's in the alleyway. He's just blah. He doesn't even try to like lean or anything. He just kind of lets it run down his chin onto his shirt. And you know, the, the production of it's pretty good. I mean, cause they've got, they don't just whitewash it away and like, okay, he's fine. Everything's gone. Nope. There's stuff still all on his face, on his hands, on his suit. And he looks up at the stars, and he's that's that's he smiles. He's got this smile on his yeah. face. That's where he wants to be. Um, let's see here. Oh, okay. This is one of my favorite parts of this, uh, where we have uh, President Rosalind. Mm -hmm. She is she's getting her her treatments here. Because she's going to stick around. Doc Cottle isn't allowed to, to stay. He says, yeah. you know, Adama says, no, I'm sorry. Thank you, but you have to stay with the fleet. They need you. Um, and she says thank you to him. She's so grateful to him. Tells him what she, uh, what he has meant to her. And he's he's astounded by that. He's gobsmacked. Does, he I, starts I, to I get choked I, up. I don't know what to say. And her line is fantastic. <laughs> she says, don't, don't ruin don't the, spoil your image. Just light a cigarette and go and grumble. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so awesome. And uh, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I yeah. absolutely love that scene. I did too. The only, the only thing that kind of gave me some pause on it was, I and I can't put my finger on what it was, but something in the way they've made up Rosalind here, I guess it's just that they're probably both... Uh, makeup crews going for the same visual effect, but something about Rosalind in this scene made me think of Smeagol <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I um, I, I guess emaciated uh, yeah. is really the look. Um, okay, so we see now various groups and their strategy plans. Each one saying, okay, here's what we're going to do here. Here's uh, everybody be ready for this, et cetera, et cetera. Hoshi becomes the new admiral. I don't recognize this guy. How do you I know? don't know. Okay, you you may not recognize the face, but you absolutely should recognize the name. No. Mr. Hoshi. Spin up the FTL. Get this ship on the line. Okay. Mr. Hoshi. He he's been on the bridge the whole time, CIC. And then he takes over once um Gata is no more. Okay, that's what I was, I was wondering if that's who that was, but I couldn't, like, I didn't physically recognize him. But I thought, oh, I wonder if this is the guy that took over in that interim period right there. So Hoshi's now the new admiral. Uh, good for him. Uh, Anders gets hooked up inside C- uh, CIC. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Romo Lampkin becomes the president. Of course. Who else? When did he become vice president? <laughs> right before he, like moments before he became president. <laughs> You're vice president. Okay, and now I'm resigning. Congratulations, Mr. President. <laughs> he is just, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah. It really is funny. Um, so Gaius decides to stay. So in a previous episode, uh, maybe it was Daybreak, part one. Um, he's given a speech at some point. Have you ever done anything yeah, completely selfless? So when he does selfless? five minutes with Lee, Lee says, point to the one moment in your life when you've done something completely selfless. No, you know, wasn't going to give Gaius Baltar any personal benefit. And he has no response to that. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up, he, he's, he stays. And then uh, Lee says, oh, hey, Gaius. Throws he, him a rifle. Okay. It's at this point I vehemently wrote in my notes don't throw guns <laughs> it's gotta be the worst thing to do because those things could literally go off at any second especially when you start jostling them around <laughs> or tossing them to someone who really isn't uh, known for uh, his um, physical coordination skills <laughs> yes or has spent time in the military really Anyway, that that galled me. Um, quote, she will not fail us. If we succeed in our mission, Galactica will bring us home. If we don't, it doesn't matter anyway. So, uh, the jump. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, there, there's three jumps that I think are just phenomenal. Two of them are in this episode. The other one is the bucket, bucket drop. drop. Uh, this one, and then the the one at the the very the, end when they when they jump away. the The fact that they jump pristinely, <laughs> right where they need to be. Yeah, like so close. Yeah, that was so cool. And then the battle starts, firing, pounding, the Galactica. And everyone's like, uh, well, anytime Some, soon. Yeah, something better happen here because uh, <laughs> we're not going to survive this for very long. And that's when Anders has managed to shut down all of the other hybrids that are apparently controlling 
uh, this colony ship. Um, the raptors jump away inside the, the bay. Yeah. Um, no, not the colony. Inside Galactica's bay, rips a hole, and which is awesome because we see that's what would have happened. Yep. If they had kept uh, Boomer from uh, from escaping, she would have done that. It would have just ripped apart Galactica. The uh, let's see here, jumping inside launch tubes, then they ram the colony ship. <laughs> I, I just couldn't I couldn't help but hearing Worf say, "Ramming speed." I know that's what I was thinking too. Today is a good day to die. He said flank speed. I'm like, no, no. Did you not? What? It's ramming speed, man. <laughs> You're even on the next generation writing stuff. <laughs> So, my question, a nitpick here, why isn't Lee and Starbuck in, in a Viper? Yeah. It, two of the best pilots they have, let's, let's put them on the ground. <laughs> Thumbs up, everyone. This is going to go great. Um, okay, Boomer takes Hera off the operating table uh, by oh, before that. snapping the neck. Uh, racetrack's co-pilot takes a, a rock to the face okay uh i just thought oh yeah kind of makes some comparisons there to serenity and wash i am a leaf on the wind <laughs> okay all right nice uh, little call back there uh we come to find it, it killed everyone yeah in there by the way but holy crap to be the guy sitting there when that comes <laughs> jeez uh, let's see here. Boomer takes hair off the operating table by snapping the neck of... Simon. Simon. And, uh, let's see here. Gaius and Six make out, and then Head Six and Head Gaius show up. And appear to both of them. Yes. And they have this, wait, you can see them? <laughs> Moment. And they're all, they, you know, give them this little bit of comfort, just, you know, to say... Your the fate of, of humans and, and Cylons are in your hands here. You are here where you needed to be. Yeah. This is the all of the stuff that has happened. This moment, this time that's happening right now is the reason why all of these things have been happening and you are where you are at. And that's pretty heavy. Yep. To, to start to, to see all of this come together. Have you ever seen the movie Heart and Souls, Pete? <clears throat> no. Uh, it's where there are four people there are go, four, four people die at the same moment of the birth of a child, and they become attached to him as ghosts. Only he can see them. And so as he's growing up, he's got these four friends that he interacts with, and no one else can see them. And eventually uh, they, they go away because they're like, oh, we're stunting his growth. We're preventing him from forming human relationships and things. And so they make themselves invisible to him by concentrating on that. He grows up, he's an adult, and they come back because he's become this completely worthless human being and they, they're trying to help him become a better man. And at one point, there's another another person in the show, a crazy woman. He's in a, he's in a mental ward. And the lady's like, oh, well, what about these four people here with you? And he's like, you see four people with me? And she says, or she says, what about all the people with you? He's like, you see people here? And she's like, yeah, I see. And she begins to describe all the people she sees 
And then she says, oh, and then there's the naked guy with the nose ring. He says, looking around, naked guy with the nose ring. She says, hey, you check me, I check you. <laughs> I'd like to have seen something like that here. You know, it's just, you see them, but maybe they don't look the same to each other. Maybe maybe one of them is seeing six, one of them is seeing Gaius, and it's the same being. <laughs> so uh, Athena kills Boomer. Boomer shows up with her kid, <laughs> yeah. hands it over, and says, you know, I hey, I owe the old man here for this. And she's like, this doesn't change anything. She says, I know. I've, I've made my decision. And then, here, hold, hold Hera. <laughs> <laughs> wow, is all I had to say. That's weird to kill yourself. I, I wanted her to look down at the way. dead body and do the, we love you, Sharon. From the first time we knew that Boomer was a psychopath. <laughs> so weird. Um, okay, so dealing with the dead, uh, Rosalind is playing the role of um, nurse and trying to help these people, and that's got to be a rough thing to do. I complain sometimes about my job. At least no one's dying doing my job. So I, I can... I'm just I'm not gonna complain for a little while, at least till Monday. Um, okay, why are the weapons so suddenly effective against the Chrome Toasters? Because they got armor, uh, uh, not armor, but ammunition from the Cylons, from the base star. That magically fit their guns. Oh, they had to come up with adapters. <laughs> I'm wearing the apologist pants. Uh, th- this is just... It's one of those times where we're like, oh, let's forget about all of the really tough things we made in our world. Yeah, because it's inconvenient now. Yeah, it's silly. Uh, let's see here. Ooh, ooh. Rosalind's vision. Yeah. And Hera runs off in, in all the melee because... Uh, um, uh, Hilo gets shot, and it's bleeding out all over the place, and uh, Athena stops to help him, and then Hera runs off. Yeah, and I got thinking, what a thing for that kid, <laughs> you know, to go through. That's pretty messed up. The uh, This now begins as we start to see Athena chasing after Hera, Rosalind chasing after Hera, and... Gaius and Six eventually coming to this place where they find Hera. They yeah. pick her up. They shut a door as Rosalind and Athena, Athena come are coming to towards her. And they carry her into... CIC. CIC, which uh, then they look up and they see the final five up there. And all of this, which, you know, we've been... Seeing uh, throughout the the series, all of this stuff is coming together and making sense for you know the whole purpose of why Gaius yep. and and Six were there. Galactica is the opera house. Yes, and CIC essentially is the stage. Yeah, um, and it is so fantastic. I thought it was a good metaphor to, to see that yeah. payoff. I love that. It's the aspect. only thing I felt did pay off. To be honest. Okay. Um, when they get in there to, to CIC, um, 
we see Cavill comes out of nowhere. <laughs> well, yeah, Cavill's in there, but they have just had this onslaught rush. Yeah. You know, we see Adama, you know, kicking <laughs> si- one of the Simons down. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Bleeding all over it's the place. It's in like Matrix was... slow motion. <laughs> um, and then something gets jostled. Cavill breaks free, grabs a gun, and pulls it on Hera. Yep. He's like, just let me have the little girl and I'll walk away. And they get to the stalemate. And Gaia starts talking and says, no, this is... The, the, the whole point of everything that's been going on here, there is something else at play. Yeah. There is some other force. The quote that he said, there's another force at work here. It's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Our two destinies are entwined in its, in its force. Um, and that you know starts to have an effect on Cavill. The, the real kicker here is when um, Ty says, we'll give you resurrection. Yep. You give us Hera. We'll give you resurrection. You give us, you give us Hera and go away and drop the war forever. Yeah, the war ends here. Yeah, um, and uh, he says, "Okay, fine, we'll we'll do it. That that's fine." Um, that's part two. That's yes. the end of part two. We move into the beginning of part three. They talk about how they only lost eleven ships in that whole process: four Vipers and seven Raptors. Mm-hmm. It's Pretty spectacular for everything that was going on out there. Pretty miraculous, I would say. <laughs> Especially with this ridiculously overwhelming force. Yeah. Okay, whatever. They're really great pilots. Fine. We're, we're going to know everything there is to know about one another. Ty, uh, Ellen Ty says <laughs> they're about to put their hands down in the water. And Cal's response is classic. Hey, I don't mean to rush you, but you are keeping two entire civilizations <laughs> waiting. <laughs> So fantastic. <laughs> he delivered it perfectly. Uh, Chief isn't happy uh, about the death of Callie. Yep. And uh, snaps and uh, grabs, uh, what's her name? Tori. Tori. Chokes her out, kills her. And because of that, he he had taken his hand out of the water. The download stopped. Yep. And so the all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is a trick. It's a trap. And everybody starts fighting and <laughs> killing again. <laughs> what are you laughing at so hard? The, the best comedic moment of the entire series. Oh yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> it's it's at the top. When, that's when for Dean sure. says, "What does he say?" He says, oh crap! He says, "Frack." Oh frack! He puts the gun in his mouth and pulls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny, but I just. <laughs> It's hilarious. Yeah, uh, and that, that's the that's the end of Cavill. Um, nukes get fired at the colony. So racetracks, you know, corpse. <laughs> it gets jostled around because the weapons were hot. She ends up somehow hitting the fire button, which seems weird that there's not a cover over the top of the fire button. So accidentally. It doesn't well, happen well, like they, that. It happened off camera earlier that she got jostled and flipped the cover off the button. <laughs> Except there was no cover no, right. no, that right. we saw there. The anyway, the the nukes fire off and they hit the the colony ship, and it, everything is spinning out of control. And Adama yells to Starbuck, "Get us out of here! Jump us away!" And she's like, "Where? Like just." Somewhere, yeah, but you know, and she starts to put in the coordinates. 
um, that are from... The numbers that she translated the notes mm-hmm. of all along the watchtower into. She types in the number. They jump away. I like that she screams, jump! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a, that was a cute touch. In the midst of that, we play back to another scene with uh, with Starbuck, and she's asking the question, "What am I?" And there is another bit of scene that's played with uh, Leoben, a few scenes with Leoben. Yeah. We call her an angel. Yes, you you're an angel, and then the jump, and then we get um, Starbuck isn't afraid of death. When she's flying. Right. And she thinks about it every time, but she's not afraid of it. Right. And the thing that she's afraid about is being forgotten, Um, which is, that's kind of nice. I I, I can appreciate that. Really? In a person. Yeah. I want to have some legacy. I want to have something that goes on after me that remembers that my existence here was not meaningless. I had meaning. Okay, in I, some I see. Regard. I guess I see that. I, I guess for me, like my, my children are that legacy. They are. I don't need to be remembered because that legacy is going to go on whether I'm remembered or not. Uh, I'm far more afraid of the process of dying than I am of being <laughs> forgotten. I'm. I'm quite certain I'm not going to go quietly into that sweet night. <laughs> there will be screaming and blood and. <laughs> Well, n- none of us will hear it, so as far as we know, it'll go quietly into the dark. <laughs> as you've clearly stated on many times, I'm just going to go away to some place, I'll die, and my family that, won't have to I deal hope. with that's it. That's what I hope. <laughs> um, Galactica is done. Yep. They We see them, Galactica, jump back in. and Fall the, to pieces. <laughs> the spine of the ship just fractures they did a fantastic job it looks like a dying whale it flexes yes yeah and ships aren't meant to flex in that (laughs) regard um that right there the that other jump is one of the the favorites that Mm -hmm. i have because it is just you look at it and say yeah that's done that's it (laughs) and it is so so amazing the way that they did that i love the the FX crew that that pulled yeah. that together and, and Adama, well, wherever we are is where we're going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Which we then come and see they're flying over this cratery place, and we see what we know as Earth. As Earth, we see very clearly the continent of Africa. So, so I can... was super confused yep. about what's going on here until the conversation between Adama and Rosalind there towards the end. Uh huh. But yep. I just want to have to say, I do. Not, I think that they really hurt the audience's ability to understand ten minutes of the last episode. It just it, for me, it didn't. It didn't pay off. It wasn't any kind of rewarding thing. It was just like, wait, what? I, I don't understand. What's going on? And then here's oh, the thing. Okay, we ne- when we saw the original Earth, we never saw it from orbit. There was we did see it from orbit. Oh, okay. But there were no continents. They never showed any right. continents. There was no structural feature that we look at and say, categorically, specifically, that's an Earth-made thing. Which we joked about having the Statue of Liberty be amongst the rubble. <laughs> Still, that be hilarious. Um, but there's nothing there. And so, you had trouble with this? The very first time I saw this, I said, oh, that's awesome. Okay. 
this is Earth now. This is going to be the place where they end up and stay. This is how we get to be who we are today at this point because we came from that place, from all of the other ones. Um, I thought it was okay. I wasn't impressed by it. So we have them now scoping out the planet. They're seeing humans. Um, and we come to find out that they're genetically similar human <laughs> beings. Um, I love that conversation. Yeah, that was pretty funny. You have a one-track mind, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to, I don't know if how accurate this is, but uh, Adama says, how does this happen? One million light years away from where we're all at, this completely separate world has managed to form this life that is just like us. Yeah. How, how does this even happen? Which we don't have an answer to. It's, it's not explained within this. Um, Lee decides, hey, you know what? Let's not do cities. <laughs> Let's just leave it all behind. No technology. Yeah, his argument is that it's the technology that caused all of the yeah, bitterness. It, it, it's not specifically stated that it's technology's fault, but it's it's certainly one of the linchpin pieces of his argument because he talks about a variety of different things at that point. Um, and I, that's the, probably the funniest true. thing. I was super distracted by the fact that Lee and, and Bill are walking arm in arm. That was a, a father and a son that's doing just that. Weird to me, it's weird, Pete. A father and a son walking arm in arm. Yes, yes that's that's, that's totally a romantic. A, that's, a, that's a romantic thing. Not. That, no, it, it's not. That that's absolutely an okay thing to do, especially when your your father happens to be a pretty old guy. Yeah, you, you, oh you hold him up. Um. <laughs> Okay, funniest thing about all of this. We're going to leave technology behind. Everyone's, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and they call out that point. Yeah, Lampkin. Um, in this, it, it baffles me because no way in the world would I say, oh, okay, I want to fend for myself. <laughs> and uh, Well, you don't have to fend for yourself. Where am I going to get food? The Cylons are going to take care of you. <laughs> okay, I'll join the Cylon ship full of robots. No, 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 no. The, 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 the humanoid, the skin jobs that are left are going to stay with humanity and do what they can to help them along for as long as they remain functional. They're, yeah, They're going to take care of you. They're super fast, super strong. They're not going to be able to make my life easier as easy and as comfortable as it was living in that society. Okay. There's no possible way they can do that. Okay. Granted. Um, well, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Let the centurions go <laughs> off on their own. Okay, so here, They've earned it. Here's the thing I thought about. When they, when they did that, at this point I'm going, oh, okay, this is, this is, in, this is the past. This is Earth in the in the distant past because we see the tribal humans and everything, and so I'm like, wait, so did they just set up the original Battlestar Galactica? That <laughs> 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 the chrome toasters go away, and then thousands and thousands of years later they come back and they set up the original Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> um, Anders is going to take the fleet into the sun. He's going to drive everything yeah, off. Thanks into for there. the spoiler, Brainy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Starbucks says goodbye to Anders, and Anders says, I'll see you on the other side. 
uh, which, whatever, I don't care about yeah, Avengers. Yeah, I wasn't even going to mention it. Adama is the last one out of Galactica, and he flies uh, his Viper, his Viper yep. out, lands it. Um, he is sitting there with Rosalind as she's slowly slipping away. Uh, next to her, there's, quote, Earth is a dream. That's when she yeah. says, well, what are we going to call this place? Earth. That's what I was like, this oh, is the, this okay. Is the whole, this right. is the whole place. This is where we were coming to. This is Earth. We made it. Good job, everyone. We were successful. And with the prophecy, you know, a, a dying leader will lead her people to Earth. Hey, I love it. That, that, that works out. The, the prophecy is fulfilled. I know you hate it, but the uh, as Adam and Rosalind are about to take the ship and fly away, and they're saying goodbye to Lee and Kara. Uh, once again, we get that, what do you hear, Starbuck? Nothing but the rain, sir. Then grab your gun and bring in the cat. I, I still like it. I think it's a nice touch. It, it seems weird to me. They, they were very clear, you know, Starbuck and Lee, hey, this is the final, this is it, this is goodbye. I don't have much time. Why is this the final goodbye? I that was a little weird for me that Adama was just he's just gonna go off and be yep. wherever he's gonna be, apparently all by himself. Yeah. Um, all right, what whatever. That that's fine, but it's still just weird. Uh so Adama carries her into the raptor. Um then Starbuck and Lee start to have their conversation. And then Starbuck is is done here she says i i'm done with all of this you know because they're talking hey what, what are we gonna do and then poof she's gone okay so you ready for my my theory my final theory <laughs> okay, okay. on what starbuck is she's the island from lost projecting <laughs> itself out into the universe to draw a race here to be manipulated yeah that, that's uh, <laughs> that makes just as much sense in the world of lost as anything else so i'm, I'm in um for me, this has got to be one of the dumbest things. This is this is the epitome of what the freak, uh, because it's just it's it's dumb. She well, turns around and she's gone. Having I written themselves it. into the plot hole, I get it. She's an angel. Fine, that's great. the The hand of God has taken her away. Whatever. It's goofy. It's okay. dumb. It's the thing that I hate the most about this series is the character of Starbuck. For all of the reasons we stated before and epitomized in this in last here. thing okay. here where it just makes absolutely no sense. Um, okay. Bill puts his wedding band on Rosalind's hand after yeah. she's dead. Seems like a kind of gesture that might have gone over better when she was alive, perhaps. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> might have been more meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> but don't ruin this beautiful moment, you son of a... <laughs> it's fantastic that she's dead. She dies as he's... Dr- Flying her around and showing her all of the beauty. And of then this he says, world. I'm just going to sit down right here and build the cabin here. And she makes some comments there. She's like, wow, there's so many animals here. And she's like, it probably, you know, the as many animals. She said more animals than there were on Caprica. On all the 12 colonies. Oh, did she say the 12 colonies? Okay. Um, and I just thought, wow, they really ran those colonies into the ground. What, what were they eating for food? <laughs> If you like know, <laughs> I, I, okay, I guess the that's why the people took to it so well is they just had a tastier type of lichen, um, in, in, uh, in the twelve colonies. Um, okay, so we now see the the different factions are splitting up. 
people are grouping off together and, and walking off into the distance and they're going to go set up their own little societies, I guess. Um, Six and Gaius, um, their life will be less eventful from here on out. Oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so the, uh, <laughs> the head six, head Gaius show back up and they're like, thank you. The, the, you know, the, you were, you know, put here. God was working through you, so to speak. Uh, and you know what? The... Go, you're you're done basically, yep. and and well, they, no, they specifically say you're not done, <laughs> but it's unlikely. I yeah. mean, God's hand is in everything; he's he's moving all around at all times. Um, the question I wrote down: Did Gaius ruin everything? Because we have a we have a a, a callback. We have a, a uh, I don't know. We have a thing goes back in time, and we see. Gaius and Head Six, where they meet and they they kiss at that time that Rosalind sees them, mm-hmm. and they're they're walking off together, and it shows the scene where Gaius is basically saying, "Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll I'm willing to friend. get you into the system because you know that's what love's about, right?" And that that right there is the reason why the twelve colonies failed. In realistically, I mean, that was the thing that finally kicked it over. Right. They got into the system. They got past all the defenses, wiped them out. But is Gaius really the bad guy here? If he was working, you know, for God, essentially. He was being moved and manipulated in a way to help bring about some purpose in this higher force being what, what are your thoughts on that well my, my thought is that the the premise of the show from the aspect of what is the show what story are, is more trying to tell here um this was a thing that had to happen gaius was the catalyst for change mm-hmm. but it was a change that the cosmic force out there in the universe that doesn't like to be called god apparently. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, so funny. That it felt needed to happen. There was a change that things needed to be shaken up. There was maybe some cultural stagnation or something going on there. There had to be a change for whatever reason. And it used the vessels it had at its disposal to do so. Um, for within the context of the show, like if I'm a character in the show, yes, guys ruined everything and he's to blame. From outside, okay, what's the story? The, the grander scheme, so to speak. I, then I, I don't think Gaius, he's responsible, but I wouldn't use the word blame. He was an agent for change, a change that had many negative aspects to it, but ultimately it was a change that was going to happen one way or the other, so I wouldn't really blame him. He, he, he has some culpability, he has some responsibility, but... Yeah, I don't think blame I, is really I, the right. I think I come to the same agreement, uh, the same point as you, with with stating he has blood on his hands. Absolutely, unequivocally, he is guilty of a lot of terrible, heinous things. Specifically, giving away the state secrets, mm-hmm. essentially, to allow millions, possibly billions of people to be eradicated. He did that. Yeah. 
And all of the rest of the stuff, though, if it was God doing this, and if we are saying, okay, maybe he didn't really ruin everything. He was acting under, you know, it was God's will that this happened. If that's the case, then you could make the same case for Judas Iscariot. He needed to betray Christ in order for, you know, the, this crucifixion and atonement to take place and save all of humanity. So this is this kind of gets into that, that territory that you and I have had discussions about before of the difference between God's plan for everything mm-hmm. and our free will, our individual yeah. free will. And the way I, the way I would say it in this case, the the way it's rolling around in my brain right now is to say God's plan is going to happen one way or another, but His plan has contingencies and escape hatches and and <laughs> just in cases. There, there, you know, the the result. He's was the best the plan. writer ever. Yes, never writes absolutely. himself into a corner. <laughs> the result is the plan. The individual steps along the path are not necessarily the plan. That he will he will use the free will that we exercise and incorporate that into the plan. But no matter what we do, whether we turn right or we turn left, the result will be the same in the final analysis. Things will be accomplished to God's plan. Now, perhaps had Gaius made some different choices along the way, maybe the path to this result doesn't have to be so bloody. Maybe it doesn't have to be quite so devastating, quite so acrimonious between humanity and Cylons. Maybe some other change happens and we come to a more peaceful way. Maybe the planets exhaust themselves and we have to leave anyway. And we meet the Cylons out there in space in a similar situation and we all agree to help each other. There are other ways that the same plan could have worked out. I don't think the choices that Gaius made helped make it a, you know, a nice transition, right. a nice change. And n- neither of us are trying to suggest that somehow the the wonderful, benevolent God in which we believe is the God in this particular no. world, uh, it, you know, you. this story. It, it's not. Um, so we don't want to try and, you know, push our belief system sure. onto, onto that because we're not. But just that idea of, okay, Gaius was the, the vessel for which this being, this group, this... Whatever. Essence force was using to bring a pa- bring about its plan, and Gaius did some pretty terrible things along the way. And yes, he he was the the one who helped make this happen, but he's he's blood stained like <laughs> nobody can believe. Um, okay, Gaius's comment. And he's like, okay, let's walk over here. That there looks like some good ground for cultivation, and uh, he says, I I know about farming, and he tears up at that. Um, I thought it's a, a wonderful scene. It's well written. I thought the delivery was a little short. Maybe it was the delivery. I would have preferred if he could have held on to that. He wrapped himself up too quickly, and hmm. you know, fixed himself. Okay. It would have been nice to show a bit more emotion. And then carry off. I, I, I certainly was not moved by it in any way. I thought maybe it was the line, but I can see your point that maybe it was the, the delivery and mm-hmm. the direction. Yeah, it, it, it was a nice, soft emotion. It was not the typical crazy 
uh, schizophrenic nature that we have seen with Gaius's character for so long, which we love, and he does so brilliantly. He maybe just doesn't have this particular aspect. It wasn't great. Okay. Um, 150,000 years later, <laughs> present day, and uh, we have a um, overhead, we have this uh, uh, big city new, news reporter talking, and uh, they're talking about, hey, we found mitochondrial Eve. It's not a news reporter. It's Head 6. Nah, I think that's a news reporter. No, it's Head 6 reading the article out loud to Head Gaius. They're looking over the shoulder of some guy looking at National Geographic. And she's reading the article out loud. Yeah, not sure about that. Anyway, mitochondrial Eve has been found. Hera. Right. Um, this is the point. This is the apparently the thing that connects the, everything together so beautifully and brilliantly. This is the, the thing that was made the difference in where we were. Um, and the quote, all of this has happened before as they're walking around in yep. society, talking about how terrible it kind of is, how similar it is to the 12 colonies. Um, and the, we see, um, Gaius calls it God and heads. no six calls it God. And Gaius says, you know, it doesn't like to be called that. <laughs> yeah. Which is super. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and then we, we have this montage of robots and how ingrained in our society yeah. they're starting to become. And uh, I, I thought it was great. Over. Done. Let me ask you a question. It's been a few years since I've seen him. But I think the guy reading the National Geographic magazine is Ron Moore. I don't even remember the person, a person reading... Okay. Uh, when you stand there looking, it's like that kind of looks like how I remember Ron Moore looking. But I also may make that mistake with just generally hippie-looking people. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can try and go back sometime. Uh, do you have any other comments? No. Okay, let's go to uh, let's hear Bob and uh, get his comments. <laughs> Daybreak parts one, two, and three. Meh. It was so long ago that I watched this, but even though I read a synopsis, I can't remember what really happened. Although the Ron D. Moore cameo was cool. Oh, yeah. It was him. Uh, I'm not going to give it a rating because the whole conclusion, frankly, left me annoyed. I'm watching it at a slower pace. Um, if watching it at a slower pace and letting it sink in uh, it would have benefited us. It's a shame we didn't. I have one question for you guys. Would you revisit the show in a few years? I think SpongeBob and I are going to rewatch Babylon 5 soon. But, uh, but you do the, would you do the same with BSG? No. Yes, I could see me rewatching it because I do enjoy it, and I could see watching it with a friend or... God willing, a spouse uh, someday because I, I do enjoy the show. I'm I, it's rewatchable for me. Another question is, who will you choose as your hot chick? If it is anyone apart from number six, I will be shocked. That's all for now. Look forward to Sherlock and Beyond, listener Bob. 
Uh, thanks. Yeah, we're not going to just uh, let everybody know we're not going to do a season wrap up um, or a series wrap up. We'll do that as a separate podcast because I have not made lists. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's taken us a year and a half to do this. I don't remember what we even did yep. in the first uh, uh, few podcasts. So, yeah, we'll do we'll do that separately. Everyone hold on for that. Uh, OK, let's go into the Word document here. Listener M. Overall thought, um, this was not as bad as the Lost finale. <laughs> but see, how sad is it that that's what you're saying? It's not as bad as. <laughs> <laughs> Part one, flashbacks equal boring. No one cares about life on Caprica before the Cylon attack. It felt like I was watching a stupid soap opera. Hmm. Part two, it all comes down to this final big battle. Lots of big explosions and cool visual effects. Part 3. Everything wraps up in a nice, neat package, and we get to see a nice cameo appearance of Ron Moore. Basically, a textbook definition of Deus Ex Machina. Some questions I thought that were left unanswered. 1. Why would everyone give up technology? (laughs) Wasn't everyone salivating over the technology of the soon-to-be-abandoned Battlestar just a short while ago? It seems like most of these people are not interested in giving up the few comforts they have left. 2. What the hell is Kara Starbuck Thrace? (laughs) I think we've answered that. 3. Is everyone positive that all the bad Cylons are destroyed? Were all the base ships back at the colony protecting cattle and seeking instructions for how to rebuild Cylon civilization from the Hera clones? Are we sure cattle didn't have any other scout copies zigzagging across the uh, galaxy searching for the fleet? Um, No, I don't think we're certain about that, especially because they talked about how two base stars jumped in, and that's how they figured out where to jump in themselves. Um, But they're counting on the fact that no one can jump them, no one can find where they jumped to because Kara jumped to random coordinates. Sure, sure. Um, Thing to keep in mind, though, apparently that jump was pretty close to our solar system. So wherever that black hole was, was able to get them a jump away from Earth. Just keep that in mind. Okay. Well, Because there was only one jump. Maybe being near a black hole has a distortional effect on the faster than light travel system. Facts not in evidence. <laughs> um, but yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And just because that cavil said frack and blew his head out, doesn't mean that there aren't other cavils sure. aboard that ship or other Cylons who could then take control because once Anders is gone, the hybrids could come online. And so, yeah, they are still out in force. Absolutely, I think that's possible. Number four, how exactly do the colonists integrate their society with the natives on New Earth? Did Hera take advantage of one of the cavemen to reproduce? (laughs) Or did the colonials supplant the native humans of Earth? If there is one thing that Star Trek taught us, is that there are always serious consequences for violating the prime directive. No, I, I don't think that... Remember, they're genetically similar here, so... 
She represents the link between humans and Cylons. Humans and the human Cylon crossover that then mated with those humans, that's the linchpin. That's what I think they're saying. Five. Do God's angels really lust after mortal beings? At least we know for sure what head, uh, head Gaius and Head Six are. They identify themselves as literal angels of God. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of angels lusting after mortal beings. <laughs> yeah. We refer to some women as, oh, she looks heavenly. So, does she look heavenly enough that the angels are going, wow. <laughs> there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I know. There's something wrong with Mark. He's the one that brought this up. I'm just taking it to its natural <laughs> conclusion. Number six. What happened to Tyrrell? You have to feel bad for the way the writers treated Galen. Not only for the finale, but throughout the series. Yeah. What happens to him after he ends up killing the Cylon responsible for murdering his human wife? Oh, sorry. What happens to him after that? Uh, I didn't even notice that the uh, Tory Cylon was killed off when I originally watched this. It happened so fast. Um, overall, I still really enjoy this series, even though the story got a little crazy in the final season. TV6, sci-fi Three. Wow. Too many unanswered questions. Hmm. So say we all, listener M. Um, going back to the Tori and uh, Tyrrell thing, I definitely, I mean, you almost hear uh, her nap, uh, her neck snap. Yeah. Um, but it is a fair question. What does happen to Tyrrell? I guess he was still alive. Yep. He wasn't dead. Um, I guess he's just going off with everybody else. and he's... Or he could be in the sun. Um, seems unlikely. <laughs> Possible, but seems unlikely. Uh, okay, thanks, Mark. Very, uh, very good email. Let's hit Brainy. All right. Typical fashion, Brainy has a lot to say. Daybreak, part one. I think that overall, my favorite relationship in the series is Gaius and Six. I love Gaius' opening scene with Six, and especially how they start to make out exactly after he says, what was your name again? <laughs> Introduction of the father dynamic with Gaius is a brilliant writing stroke. And as the old man is packing up some boxes in his office, I have to wonder why don't their boxes have eight sides like their paper? <laughs> and their books and their photograph frames. <laughs> uh, uh, but when we see Chief in the brig, uh, but then we see Chief in the brig, and it's a bummer, man. It's like in the show Lost, when the dude screamed, Walt! for the hundredth time. Or I repeatedly uttered, He's my son, blah, blah, blah. I'm just very sick of people calling Cylons machines at this point. They are both bipedal, biochemical organisms with electricity in their bodies. For me, the most satisfying payoff of BSG occurs towards the end of the episode when we see Doc Cottle volunteering for the rescue mission and we find out that his first name is Sherman. <laughs> that's a point. I, we, I, that's a great uh, notice there. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, he gives a rating Sci-Fi 6, TV 7, Music 5. See, I one. thought Adama said Sherman. 
<laughs> I really did. I didn't think he was saying a name. I thought he was saying, sure, man, but but I need you to stay here. <laughs> That's what I thought he said. That's fine. It's so funny. Uh, Daybreak part two. The hunt for the the hunt for hair of the human Alon. I bet Colonel Ty throws one heck of a bachelor party. <laughs> the extended version has a much longer Adama barfamania scene. <laughs> I am sure you dudes have not seen Team America, World Police, but there is a great parody where the marionette puppet wretches up uh, a wretches up. Also, what a great scene between Roslyn and Sherman. Also, the red striped Cylons look super cool. It's weird how Roslyn finds Humanalon with the opera housiness. Uh, not, I will accept this conceit as obtuse, but kinda nifty. As long as Ron Moore does not try anything crazier in the narrative of the next episode. Nonetheless... This battle of the black hole is a fantastic sci-fi visual display. Um, is one of the greatest. Uh, is one of the genre's greatest. Great build up to the cliffhanger with a nice god speech by Gaius. Sci-fi ten TV nine music ten, daybreak three, and everything was going so well. <laughs> everything goes to heck, and Cavill Moriarty's himself. Or does he? <laughs> Once they get to Earth, everything sucks. I don't even know what to say about Sam's journey to the center of the sun. Obviously, this fleet of scoundrels learned nothing about evolving. Lee comes up with one more bad plan. Starbuck is a ghost, and it's over. Sci-Fi 7, TV 5, Music 6. Joey's Final 5. Final Final 5. <laughs> one Starbuck the Angel Ghost your thoughts <laughs> I like that Starbuck the Angel Ghost you know I think I already have covered that extensively probably two do you think that you could do you think that you didn't like the series because of the hubris in Ron Moore's writing You know, I think there's a, a lot of factors in it. You know, I'm not going to say hubris wasn't one of them. I, I think probably the biggest struggle I had with it was expecting, uh, the expectation that I had because everyone loved it so much and, you know, everyone raved about it. And I just felt like there were too many instances where I thought, boy, this, this just isn't written as well as I was expecting based off of everyone else's reaction. Okay. Three, considering the finger painting display we saw in last week's episode, do you think it would have been better or worse to have Eddie Olmos, instead of Bill Cosby, host a more dramatic version of Picture Pages? I've never seen Picture Pages. I haven't either. Is that a movie? I, I, I have no idea. I don't know what he's referencing. Yeah, sorry. We wish we could uh, help you out with that one. Sorry, we don't know the reference. Uh, four, who is a better villain, Gaius or Morden? Serious? I'm just drawing a blank. Sorry, it happens. Babylon 5? Oh, oh, oh. 
I, I was trying to think of somebody in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that's sad. That's sad, man. <laughs> I was Your trying to think own of a, touted sci-fi series that you hush, love so hush. much. I was trying to think of a Battlestar Galactica character named Morden. Okay, what you don't know is Joey was like, Morden? Who's that? I, I don't know. Who's Morden? So, Gaius or Morden? A better villain? Morden. Okay. I think definitely Morden's evil. Yeah. There is no black, there's no gray with him. He is just bad. Absolutely bad. There's shades of gray, even some some good, uh, some white in him, even though he's... he's you in know, Gaius. Yeah. Gaius also has the, the bad. Uh, number five, compare BSG and lost finales. <laughs> so actually, was doing the internal comparison the entire uh, three episodes here between Battlestar Galactica, Babylon 5, and Lost. I was just... I don't know why I picked those three, but as I was going through, I'd say Battlestar Galactica was not as disappointing of an ending at all as Lost was. But it didn't leave me with the warm thoughts about the human race that Babylon 5 did. Okay. Yay for everyone. What's next week's top five? I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know. Yay for the overlords. They led us to the end. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, yeah, we finally all made it. And great final five idea. You you came up with that, Brainy, and it was brilliant, and you should deserve all of the credit that comes from it. Um, so our, our thanks for uh, for doing that. Pete, you're ready. Yeah, uh, science fiction, I, I give this a 10. This is fantastic science fiction. Uh, the visual display that we see here, the story that's being told, the way that everything turns out is, oh, this is these are the precursor to what we would know as Earth. Um, all of the, the prophecy, all of the stuff happening leading up to this point where they are now led to this place. Humans and Cylons, they've paired, they've mated, they've become one. Despite all of the other versions that may be out there, they, this group managed to make this happen. They are peacefully going to go off into history. I absolutely love that. Uh, for science fiction, I'm going to give it an 8. I, I felt there were some, some things that were a little... Uh, I'm trying to remember the term... That, I think I want to say it's phlebot, phlebotonym, which is basically like the you know the magic sauce that we pour over the plot to fix all the holes. Uh, you know, you raised the example of the bullets all of a sudden are super effective against the toasters. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just there's enough things there that hold me back from going to a ten. Can I ask a, a question that may sound mean, but are are sure. you are you frustrated because? it didn't go in the direction you thought it should or because you were confused by like the, the best example I can probably come up with is um, what, what is that thing? Why I'm confused with earth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that to, it, for me, it detracted. It made it less entertaining to watch for a 10 minute period in the last 20 minutes of the entire series. And that actually, to me, that pulls it down. That definitely uh, impacted it. 
Okay. Uh, for television, I'm, I'm only going to give this an 8. There were plenty of plot holes. Um, there was still some very good acting that happened in this. The story was wrapped up. Not perfectly. Not uh, to my perfect satisfaction. But it still was wrapped up. The story, the, they all came together. They're now here on this place. I like the fact that it's Earth. And I, I know you didn't quite catch on to it as soon as it happened. I did when I watched it. And that okay. I loved it so much when I'm like, oh, wow, that is so unique, uh, that story that, that's told. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, an 8. I'm also going to give it an 8. One of the things that I really enjoyed that you didn't seem to was the fact that Adama, Admiral Adama went off to be by himself. I, I very much understood that concept of, you know what, I've carried the burden of this society on my shoulders for far too long. I'm done. I'm mm -hmm. checking out, getting away that. from all of you. I need to be me for a little while. Yeah, for and, sure. And yeah. I liked that. You know, again, not not super thrilled about the way everything wrapped up there. I felt there were some weaknesses. Uh, you know, I'm with you where the, the kind of the end of Kara Thrace was just really disappointing. I wish they had <laughs> I wish they had known where they were going with it before they got there. To be fair, you were disappointed with Kara Thrace through the whole thing. <laughs> I think I said there were only two episodes I really said, Oh, I, I like Kara now. Uh, the, the, they they screwed that up big time. On the whole, glad I watched it. Don't feel that to you know, as somebody asked, I can't remember who it was now who asked. Oh, maybe it was Bob. Uh, don't feel that this episode, this show for me, has a whole lot of rewatchability. Okay, so we are going to cover, we'll do a season wrap up, we'll do a series wrap up, uh, talk about all the fun stuff, all of the uh, rehash, some of the, the mm -hmm. dumb stuff that happened. Um, so that'll be the, the next episode. podcast. Yeah, probably we we'd probably do that. And then we'll look at either Sherlock or the Battlestar game once we're past that. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure those, uh, those hurdles out. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening.